Hello, and welcome to the podcast, The Christmas of a Lifetime. I'm your host, Jacob Osterman, and with me as always is my brother, Jesse Austin Brenneman. Jesse, how are you doing? Merry Christmas, Jacob, and uh, you know, happy to be here again with you. Really Merry getting Christmas into... to you. Thank you. Thank you. It is that season, Jacob, and I'm really starting to enjoy it here in Southeast Michigan. The snow is starting to fall. I can see it's it's falling in your Google Live background also. You know, Jesse, quite festive. It, the weather outside is actually not too frightful where I am here in uh, New England. Uh, we're not yet at that time of year where we're experiencing several feet of snowfall. It's coming, but what I like to do to sort of prepare for that mentally is to put the snowy cafe uh, Google videos background when we're doing our video chats. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I feel like you're really out there in the snow in a cafe. So before we get into playing the episode, you know, back from our conversation about on the second day of Christmas, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which we recorded back in January of 2021, um, I really wanted to just play you some found audio to tell you into the into the season. I've been I've been having it with my family here uh, okay. recently. So so this is something I just recorded earlier today, not even 45 minutes ago. So here, just take a listen. That's right. We had the chimney guy out. We fixed the <laughs> chimney. We have the roaring fire. We have the stockings. We're set, Jacob. Excellent. I'm, Excellent. I'm you guys have it going. You guys have I'm it ready. going right now. I, I don't know if I can wait until Christmas this year. It's, I'm having a hard time. I'm ready for it right now. I'm going to savor each moment, but I'm ready for it to happen right now. You're, you're like a little kid on Christmas Eve who wants to stay up all night and meet Santa, Jesse. You just got to go to sleep and let the next day come, all right? That's part of the joy of Christmas, okay? You wake up in the morning. There's a bite taken out of the cookies. The glass of milk is empty. You, you know, and I and have different strategies. Spirit. Uh, Christmas Eve strategies, my friend. So we'll have to see how that goes. <laughs> With that said, let's get into it, Jacob. Let's let's go back All in right. time to January and uh, hear our our discussion about on the second day of Christmas. Jingle jingle, I can hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring ting tingling too. Come on, it's lovely weather for Mark Ruffalo to throw himself up against a chain link fence. There's 22 days until Christmas. And you're listening to The Christmas of a Lifetime. Let's bring the Christmas spirit in the air, the air. And let's turn the lights down low. And make some hot cocoa and watch the falling snow. And look at the beautiful Christmas lights. Look at our favorite Christmas movies. Buy the presents under the Christmas tree. So join us to have Welcome back to the second episode of your new favorite podcast, The Christmas of a Lifetime. My name is Jacob Osterman, and here with me again today is my brother, Jesse Austin Brenneman. Jesse. Jake, great to see you again. I'm sitting here in my home office drinking some hot chocolate with mini marshmallows. Turns out it doesn't matter how stale the marshmallows are if you put them in hot chocolate. Just rehydrates. It's magic. That's very festive. Um, here's the thing, Jake. I'm going to say it again. Merry Christmas. It's not Christmas. It's actually January. But I feel like the reason we're doing this podcast is to keep Christmas going all year. So that's what I'm going to be saying every time. Jesse, if there's one thing I've learned from watching these movies, 
it's that you can eat an apple with a knife and look really cool doing it. If there's two things, it's that Christmas is a state of mind. It's not a time of year. That's right. It's not a particular day. Yes, we realize that Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ and so is supposed to be on December 25th every year. But we think the real meaning of Christmas, as learned through these Lifetime movies, is to celebrate it all the year. And that's what I'm here for, Jacob. That's I'm why here started this. with my hot cocoa. This also gives me license to drink hot cocoa in July, which I feel a little bit weird doing. But if I'm watching a Christmas movie in July, I feel like that's that's pretty good. I think it still goes with the hot cocoa. Jesse, the real problem for me, of course, when we are on movie number 43 and we're in the middle of July, is that... I'm not going to be able to find candy canes. That's a tight timeline you're talking about here. I'm saying we're going to crank these out pretty quick, Jess. Okay. But the real problem is the availability of candy canes. I can't just pop down to my local market basket, my local star market, and pick up a couple of candy canes like I can now. So you're suggesting that we should stock up at the Dollar Tree today actually, so that we have candy canes all year? As we've seen during the pandemic, you want to be really careful about hoarding. It's caused a lot of problems with the supply chain. So I'm going to say buy a normal amount of candy canes and maybe just hold on to the ones that you have. Maybe instead of an everyday treat, it's a once a week treat. And that'll keep you going through to July through to November when we can start buying them up again. Okay, well, I think I'll have to to go stock up a little bit because, you know, my children do love the peppermint flavor. So that's very true. We'll have to make sure that we have enough for the next 86 movies that we're going to be watching. This is not including the ones from 2020, so we have, I think, even 30 more after that. Yeah, we will be here for a long time. Celebrating Christmas. All right, Jake, well, today we're talking about the movie on the second day of Christmas, which appropriately is our second episode. So I think this just kismet lined up beautifully for us. And I'm going to state it up at the top, Jake. I like this movie. It was a good movie. You come into this, and a lot of people, I think, when we tell them about this project, have what I call a bit of a humbug about it. They're like, oh, you're doing this ironically. Oh, you're doing this as a joke. And we're not. I watched this movie, and I genuinely enjoyed seeing Mark Ruffalo throw himself up against the fence. I genuinely enjoyed seeing Santa Claus get chased by a couple of New Yorkers. It's such a turnaround from the previous movie. And I really, I have to say, L.com, I think mess this up a little bit putting spirit of christmas number one in this number two because i felt like this was a lot more christmasy i think this had a lot a lot more christmas involved it was and we're going to get into all that of course with our christmas confusions with our christmas themes but first as with as we do with every episode we're going to start with the stocking stuffer All right, Jake, what do you have for me? Something interesting that I found. Now, as part of doing this podcast, I do a lot of research into the movies, into the cast, into the directors, into the people who work on it, to really try and understand how these movies come together. Because I feel that that's an important part of understanding the themes. The stories they're telling, that really gets you into the spirit. And of course, as we've mentioned many times, the star of the movie, Mark Ruffalo, really bringing some character into this movie in 1997, which was long before he would go on to become the megastar Incredible Hulk that we see in The Avengers and in Thor Ragnarok. But I want to talk about one of the smaller, so to speak, stars of this movie, which is, of course, the young girl Patsy Tracy, played by the very, very talented 
Lauren Suzanne Pratt. And what was interesting to me, Jesse, is I looked her up on IMDb and she does not have a long career. But the second movie that she starred in, this movie being the first, the second movie that she starred in was actually a co-star with my man, Paul Rudd. Another one of the Avengers. Has she acted with all of the Avengers? I th- I thought maybe a fish in the back. Is there a Scar Joe, Tracy Pratt uh, collab going to happen? Is that what I'm hearing? I, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, the object of my affection, her second film, in which she plays Sally Miller. Okay. Paul Rudd is the main. What year is that lead. from? Is she a kid in that one also? She is a kid in that movie as well. It's from 1998, so it's the second year. So, first year, Mark Ruffalo, big debut. Second year, She's worked with all the best people. Her agent is picking good movies for her. That is for sure. Jacob, quick question on this. I just want to make sure we're talking about the movie on the Lifetime channel on the second day of Christmas. And not one of the three or four TV special episodes called On the Second Day of Christmas. Nor the movie on the 12th day of Christmas from 2015. We're talking not talking about, about any of those. Okay, because I was a little confused. I'm looking at the DVD cases at the store, and I have on the second day of Christmas written with a numeral, and then on the 12th day of Christmas written with a number one and a two, and the one, it's a cursive script. It looks a little, it's hard to tell. Is it one, two, or just a two? I didn't know, and so I almost watched it on the 12th day of Christmas. Yeah, it was very gonna, close. You're going to find a lot of confusion looking for this movie in your local blockbuster. If you look for the DVD of this movie, and I had a lot of trouble with this while I was doing my research, uh, you'll find actually a case that says, On the Second Day of Christmas, starring, of course, Mark Ruffalo and Mary Stuart Masterson. But you'll find on that box, Santa Claus shushing, presumably, a young child. And you'll also find a dog in a Santa hat. Neither of those characters appear in this movie. There's no dog with a Santa hat. There's no dog in general. There's no Santa in general, besides the one that we'll, we'll talk about, but who definitely does not look like the standard Santa that you see on the box. It's a confusing thing, and I think really a failing of the PR marketing team to not put Mark Ruffalo, your big star, front and center on that box. Jacob, you make a great point, and I want to bring up the following question. How many movies down this list? Remember, there are 88 total movies here. Right. What is right. the over-under on how many movies we have to watch before a dog is prominently featured in the movie. So far, no dogs. No dogs Dog on the cover, no dog in the movie. But I'm saying, in the movie, prominent feature for the dog involved in getting two people to fall in love on Christmas, maybe wearing a Santa hat. I feel like it's a given they have to be wearing a Santa hat. Or at least an elf costume, maybe. Yeah, for sure. I'm giving it uh, number 12 is my pick. 12 is going to have a dog in it. The dog is going to run around the two, the leash dragging them together. Maybe it's yeah, got very a candy cane in its mouth. Yeah, I see it. My quick question. Quick question. What is the dog's name in that movie, if you had to guess? Rudolph. <laughs> yes. Didn't even have it to think to, about it. It has to be Rudolph. Maybe maybe one of the lesser reindeers. I could see that also. Oh, a Prancer. 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 <laughs> you know, Dasher, maybe. Yeah, definitely Rudolph is the number one pick. All right, well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. So let's get right into it. That's right, Jake. It's time for the reason for the season. So just to just to summarize the movie, we can read 
L.com, as always, our, our go-to list here, summarizes the movie as, everyone has to start somewhere. Mark Ruffalo, Oscar-nominated actor and everyone's favorite hunky Hulk, took an early shot with this made-for-TV Christmas romance. The film revolves around Patsy, a pint-sized con artist, and her criminally-minded aunt, played by Mary Stuart Masterson. A baby-faced Ruffalo plays Bert, the world-weary security guard who busts them on Christmas Eve. Bert's boss orders them to watch over the thieves until the jails reopen, which L has a question mark here. They are confused about this, even in their own summary. They can't write a summary without being confused. And that's when the Christmas magic takes hold. We just can't resist this ghost of Ruffalo past. Before we go on to give our own summary of this movie... I do have one thing here. It's This says that Patsy is the pint-sized con artist, and she has a criminally-minded aunt. I feel like Patsy is a pickpocket, but and we'll get into that, but she's not really the con artist. Jesse, not it's a con right artist. in the name. She's the Patsy. That's right. I feel like she's, she's the, the one innocent. the movie is blaming. Within all, she doesn't realize that it's wrong. Exactly. Right. So I think there's a little bit of shade from L.com throwing on our child here in the movie, but I believe that she was truly an innocent throughout all of this, and I think that really shines through. So I think our summary, my summary, would be uh, Lady Tries Multiple Times to Escape False Imprisonment by Mark Ruffalo. Of course, by <laughs> the child. By the child every At time. every turn. Every time she turns around, she's getting photos. She's always trying to escape. She just can't escape from the wiles of uh, Mark Ruffalo, the hunky looks, smoldering. I think is a word that was thrown around. So great, great stuff here. None of those really described what the plot was. So can we actually just (laughs) tell the listeners, if you haven't seen this movie, it's on YouTube, go watch it. We're going to pause here for a second. What actually happened in this movie? I think we we should just pause here for a second. Just let our viewers, our listeners go and just watch this movie. You're going to enjoy it. Okay. Okay, we're back. This movie, I think... You did yourself a favor, listener, by checking that out on youtube this movie of course is something that we we all enjoyed but it raised a lot of questions now the the movie opens with a young pickpocket the young girl patsy as l referred to her pint-sized con artist but this this girl lifting wallets with her criminally minded aunt this then progresses to them getting caught red-handed in the floor of a department store. And in order to see that justice is truly carried out, the owner of the department store attempts to have her arrested. Now, as everyone knows, in New York City, famously, police departments are closed on Christmas. And so there's just going to be too much paperwork. Social services was closed, right? (laughs) It was a little bit confusing to me. There was this whole big argument. So just, I think we need to go through this point by point. So it starts out, we see Patsy and her aunt, played by Mary Stuart Masterson, named Trish, which is going to come up later. It's an important rhyming scheme with Trish. Right. They are lifting wallets on the streets of New York in order to get money. And so you see them successfully execute... A con in which the child, Patsy, who looks to be about six in this movie, seven? How old is she supposed yes, to be? I, 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 would give her, I would give her eight. It's not, it's not made clear. It's not made clear, but she's young. And small child, she lifts the wallet. She passes it off to her aunt, Trish, who pretends not to know her. And then 
the the mark comes up and tries to say okay patsy hey stop that little child she stole from me first of all who on the street with a large grown man chasing a small child on the street saying stop that girl who's gonna listen to him in new york i mean it seemed i thought yeah. the police were gonna go after him originally but they eventually yeah, especially especially after uh the police stop and search the girl search this young six-year-old yeah. girl no uh, wallet and find no wallet the man then leaves with no further hey maybe you should stop accosting young girls in the street yeah I mean, I think the police really didn't respect that guy at all. I mean, he gets his wallet stolen, and he's like, this girl stole my wallet. And they're like, hey, it's a kid. It's Christmas. What are you doing? And everyone in the crowd turns on that guy very quickly, which was surprising to me because he, he did get his wallet stolen. I mean, it is New York, and if they <laughs> can find a reason to turn on someone in New York, they will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so okay, so that happens. We, we, have, we have First, we have the pickpocket. Then they go and they're they're continuing to do this con inside a department store, the famous Limbers, right? It's it's Limbers. Limbers, as limbers. in the man was very limber. He limbered up before having this uh, young child and her aunt arrested. Yes, so Limbers. So they're doing this and they get caught by Mark Ruffalo, who is the security guard at the store. Now the the twist for Mark Ruffalo, of course, is that he comes from a family of police, of cops. His brother, his sister, his dad, all of them are cops. So this long line of New York City cops. And because of a stigmatism, he's unable to join the police force. And so has become a security guard instead. I think because he also wants to carry out justice. Is that... Well, Jesse, he sees himself, and this is a quote from the movie, he sees himself as the thin maroon line between order and chaos. Maroon, of course, because the security guards in this department store wear maroon jackets. It's the uniform of all department store security guards, Jacob. I think we know that maroon jackets, you see those flags. I think it explains all the flags I've been seeing of the thin maroon Mm -hmm. line flags. Yeah, supporting exactly, exactly supporting our fourth responders who are mall security guards <laughs> from department stores. And... Know, Paul Paul Blart sucks up a lot of the <laughs> oxygen when you're talking about this, but I really think that Bert from on the second day of Christmas is... deserves a bit more of the conversation. It, he really Rovlo brings him into that conversation, brings that character into the conversation. You're right. I think a lot of people think. Paul Blart, but at the end of the day, I think this is a definitely a performance for the ages. So after that, and guys, we we're trying to recount what happened in this movie, and there is just too much. We're not going to get through it all in the time that we have. So to skip ahead, they go, they get caught in the department store. The boss of the department store says, "You need to arrest it. There have to be consequences for your crime." Okay, you picked a pocket, you stole a wallet in my store. You have to be arrested. Jail. You have to go to jail. years jail. You have to go to jail. And they try and call social services for the child, but can't actually get through because it's a holiday. So the police officer is like, well, what do you want me to do? Arrest a kid on Christmas? I can't do that. I also, therefore, can't arrest the, the, the aunt here, the guardian, the legal guardian of this child. So we're just not going to arrest anybody. I believe, Jesse, I believe the policeman says, and again, a direct quote, forget about it. (laughs) It, 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 
How many times did they type that out in the script? I don't know. I it got, was over I got, seven. I got five. You I got, got five? five, personally, right. on my count. Well, I'll have to go back and watch it again, because there was a lot. So they they forget about arresting her, and they say, you have to come back on Monday. Everyone realizes that if you let the con artist go and say, come back on Monday, they're not going to be showing up. Right, they're not going to I show mean, up. she did say Scout's Honor, but I think she had her fingers <laughs> crossed behind her back. So Which we she wasn't know. Gonna do it. Yeah, she wasn't going to do it. So the boss decides that Mark Ruffalo should be the one watching him. Now, how does Mr. Limber, who is supposedly the CEO of this department store, how does he know that Mark Ruffalo doesn't have Christmas plans? Because he's like, you don't have Christmas plans. You should watch her. I mean, I think that he knows Mark Ruffalo. And he knows that How does Mark, he know Mark Ruffalo is devoted to his job. How does I'm sure, and Jesse, this is just an observation I'm okay. making about the character. I'm sure that Mark Ruffalo's character, Bert, has arrested many people in the store. And so has mm. come to the attention of Mr. Limber on multiple occasions. You know what? Perhaps I would watch that movie. Can we get that movie where it's like Paul Blart, but it's Mark Ruffalo being a security guard in a department store and arresting people? I would watch that. I, again, this is this is kind of the Wait, the territory of Jacob, Paul Blart Mallcock. This is out this is itself. a TV movie. Hear me out. TV spinoff, a police procedural centered around a department store security guard, starring Mark Ruffalo. You have to have the sassy partner. Maybe there's a sidekick. I'm thinking the kid Can, comes back, Jesse. The kid. I'm com- thinking. I'm thinking. Tr- I'm thinking Patsy comes back as the sassy partner. He realizes he has a lot to learn. She knows a lot about the criminal underworld. That's true. There's a connection there. Yeah, so the reformed criminal being the sidekick, that's a good one. But she doesn't play by the rules, Jacob. I think that's the key thing that we have to... No, and he's by the book. That's something that I think he's going to learn is not the best way to deal with things over the Mm -hmm. course of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that you could have Mr. Limber as like the crouchy precinct captain. But really, yeah, he he's says, a... turn in your badge. You don't have a gun, but I'll take <laughs> your, your handcuffs, which you have for some reason. That was also weird. Maybe this is just a thing that <laughs> happened in the 90s. Did department store, can we look this up? Did department store security guards have handcuffs? I, and then I, I think, don't think they did. I think Bert just had handcuffs and was That's just weird. looking to use them on somebody. And so when he had this opportunity, he pulls them out. And the other department store security officer goes, Bert, really, come on. And uh, kind dedication of pulls him back. Dedication that. is a key character choice that Mark Ruffalo is making in this movie. So that really, really shines through. Okay, so we haven't even covered the first 15 minutes of this movie. A lot this of other movie, stuff happens. I don't even know if we can yeah. cover it all. I think we should. We shouldn't. I think we shouldn't. But <laughs> suffice. I think suffice it to say that in the end, Bert has to watch over Patsy and her aunt Trish. As they wait for the second day of Christmas, the day when the social worker will be available in business, will be yeah. available again, so that they and, can arrest them and he can keep his job. So his job is tied to him bringing back Trish and Patsy on Monday, which is the second day of Christmas, so the day after Christmas, and be able to arrest them and and send them to jail and social services and child protective services. So. What then follows is about 15 different escape attempts by Trish and Patsy to get away from Mark Ruffalo, but they never can. Something's always getting in the way. The ex-boyfriend who is abusive, 
I would say. And also dressed as a Santa Claus. Dressed as Santa Claus the entire movie. So Trisha's ex-boyfriend. So she has to go with Mark Ruffalo to avoid that the the Santa Claus ex-boyfriend. There's lots of other things happen. She does try to leave at one point, but Patsy pulls her back to Mark Ruffalo because saying, he's you promised, you promised. Yeah, you promised. We have to go back. Yeah. So there's lots of times she tries to escape, but in the end, Ruffalo captures her heart through his singing and piano playing. And mm-hmm. it turns out that Mark Ruffalo learns that he doesn't have to do everything by the book, right? And that he doesn't want to be a cop after all. He really wants to be a musician, and gives himself license to break the rules and go do that as a career instead of being on the police force. This, for me, is a real shift in the what we'll see as a paradigm of yeah. Lifetime original movies, which is that normally, and we saw this in the previous film, yeah. the it is the female lead who has the very stringent, very career-focused lifestyle. And then is persuaded by the male romantic lead to loosen up, embrace the spirit of Christmas. Learn how to love. Learn how to love. In this movie, the opposite. I think leaning into the magnetism and the raw charisma that Mark Ruffalo has, it really lets him loose on the themes of this movie, on the learning how to love, learning how to loosen up, learning how to embrace those parts of yourself that... You love. Yeah, absolutely. I think it really is an interesting gender a gender swap in terms of the roles. I wonder if we're going to see that in other movies, but you're absolutely right. We love seeing the workaholic who then learns to, to live a little. And I think this is just, we see it peeking through in the background, in the set decoration, the piano in his apartment. The mm-hmm. spare Spartan apartment, but it has the piano there. And you're wondering mm-hmm. when that's going to come to the fore. And really, it takes Trish and Patsy to bring that out of him and, and really show the world what a great singer and musician Mark Ruffalo actually is. And here, Jacob, I want to drop just a little knowledge on you about Mark okay. Ruffalo. You may not know this. Okay. But he is Tony Award nominated Mark Ruffalo. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. Before this movie, before this movie, I'm just looking at all of the awards right here. I have a list. The awards and nominations nominated and won by Mark Ruffalo. So 2006, 10 years after this movie, I think, right? Yep. 97. 2006, he was nominated as the best featured actor in a play for Awake and Sing. So I don't think he actually had a singing role in it, but I think there's some of that osmosis, some of that singing magic rubbed off. And if you just take a quick detour down YouTube, Google Mark Ruffalo singing, there are a lot of clips. Okay. That is, uh, it is amazing. Each one, a little gem of musical happiness just put into your life. Now, you did say Tony nominated, right? Not he Tony didn't win. awarded. He did win. He did he, win. I, he did win. What? That is a surprise to me. He, yeah, he didn't win, which is a surprise. I think you really have to think... Yeah, he should have won that. I think it's a big snub. I, who puts a lot of stock in these? They're really just a popularity contest. That's true. But, That's true. Yeah, I, they should have given him something for after that nomination. They recognize the talent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it was a tough year. I'm sure there were a lot of people 
Maybe Hugh Jackman was up that year. I don't. I don't know. He also in two thousand eight was nominated for the best supporting actor in a Canadian film, and we know that this film was filmed in Ontario. So yeah, I'm surprised he was not nominated in nineteen ninety seven. That's the shocking thing for me looking at this list. I think Jesse, you bring up Ontario. I think this is a good, uh, good point to pivot to our Christmas confusions. Every episode, we like to take a moment after we've watched the movie and digested it, we think about it, and oftentimes something kind of sticks out as not really making sense, not really adding up. Normally, these Lifetime original movies are clockwork, all the gears fitting together properly, but sometimes a little something pokes out. And in this case for me, it was the fact that this film very, very clearly stated multiple times, takes place in New York City. Yeah, the Big Apple. Right? The Big Apple, the city that never sleeps. However, it doesn't have any identifying New York City landmarks. Normally, when you see a movie that takes place in New York City, you have an establishing shot of the Statue of Liberty, right? Or the Empire State Building. Or this was in 97, you might have a shot of the two towers in the background. Something to really let people know, hey, this is New York City. Then you go into street level, you hear the forget about it, you hear the I'm walking here. Yeah. And that's when you really feel the city come to life. Filmed in Ontario, it really manages to me to bring in a New York City vibe, a New York City feel without any of the famous landmarks and the geography of New York City. And that to me was a point of confusion. Yeah, it's actually, I mean, it's a testament to the filmmaker's skill, I think, in evoking the ambiance of New York without even, like, taxi shots, really. So they have this mm -hmm. whole thing where they're like, hey, we should get a taxi. Oh, that's too expensive. We need to take the bus. And they mm -hmm. argue about it and have multiple modes of transportation. But you never see that exterior bustling New York City shot that mm -hmm. would establish them as being uniquely in New York City. And I think really it just speaks to the the supporting actors' performances, specifically the cops. I think the cops had a lot of it, but really just everybody in it, everyone they were interacting with, that was not Mary Stewart Masterson, that was not, you know, Mark Ruffalo, they were just quintessential New York. And I think a lot of a lot of overcoats, a lot of cashmere overcoats, a lot of tan overcoats, a lot of scarf work happening. And just really getting that feel through costume that normally you would get through location. And just really great, great stuff. I did have a question about this because at one point, a major plot point is that they end up going to see a mall Santa at the Santa Wonderland in Maplewood. And right, this right. is near Mark Ruffalo's family home. I believe they're talking about Maplewood, New Jersey, but they may be talking about the Maplewood Mall that they've made up or that existed in 1997. But somewhere in the suburbs, there is this winter wonderland. It's a castle. They go, it's closed, but the security guard there at the castle opens it up. He says that he's an elf. Turns out his last name is Elfman, and he's a lawyer which we can get into in a second, but 
is Maplewood? How far away is Maplewood? We're talking about this this New York location. So I'm looking. I'm looking at a map right yeah. now, Jesse. Maplewood. Now this is, of course, in 2021. Yeah. Looking at 9:42 p.m. Yeah. It's telling me 30 minute drive, New York City to uh, Maplewood. So it's two now blocks that, away. It's two blocks away. You're gonna have to factor in, of course, the they're traffic. taking the bus. They're taking the bus. You're you're looking mm-hmm. at multiple stops. You're gonna look at multiple transfers to get out there. Yeah, I'm convinced that Mark Ruffalo took this woman and her niece out on the bus for about three hours in sure. order to reach his family home in in Maplewood, and, and then go to the Santa. So so here's the thing. So in that section of the movie, this is my confusion, and this is the main question I want to bring up to you, Jacob. Maybe you can help me out. Right. They go to this wonderland. It's a magical moment where they realize that, like, the spirit of the season is they have to give people a second chance. They're falling in love. It's this magical moment for the child because the child has not received her Christmas presents because they've been at Mark Ruffalo's house instead of at their apartment because he needs to watch over them. So they go to his family's house and... They go to this, first of all, why is the Santa's Wonderland open the day after Christmas? This is what I don't get, right? Yeah, it's... The mall it's Santa's not leave. Normally, yeah, not normally is it that you would go to see Santa after Christmas. Normally kids want to go... Before Christmas. Latest. The latest you're going to go, December 24th. Because That's right. if you go December 25th, mm-hmm. you've already got your gifts. Santa has already come by. There's no chance for you to... Give him In your fact, list and have this him know is what the you're unusual for. situation. She has this request because she didn't receive her gifts. This is like the mm. one and only time in the history of Santa Claus that a child is going to want to speak to Santa the day after Christmas. Yeah, right. Yeah. But the security guard is there. Well, the head elf is there. Opens it up. She goes and leaves a note for Santa Claus saying, "Hey, I actually need you to help me out. Help my aunt out." I don't care about the bike. I just want my aunt to, like, be able to stay with her and her not to go to jail. She writes this note to Santa Claus saying, meet us on Monday at the department store. Here's the address in New York City. And the note gets taken under the door, and the security guard or head elf says, I'm sorry to bother you, boss, but it seemed important. Right. So the question is, Jacob, is Santa real in this movie? Within the... The logic of this movie, does magic exist, and is Santa real? I think, it by the logic of this movie, yeah, Santa Claus has to be real. That's my takeaway from this, is that, one, this movie could work without Santa Claus being real. Yeah. The Elfman character, he comes back as a lawyer, shows up, and dramatically browbeats Mr. Limber, the department store owner, into allowing... Patsy and Trish to go free inspires Mark Ruffalo to quit his job. Weirdly saying that false, the false imprisonment is okay, but actually it's the PR nightmare that's the problem. Right. Again, this woman has been falsely imprisoned by Mark Ruffalo <laughs> for, for the entire movie. Yeah, for three days, right? Like yeah. It starts on Christmas Eve, goes to the second day of Christmas. So here's the thing. How did, if Santa is not real... Okay, and it was just some person that was asleep at this Maplewood Santa Claus Wonderland theme park. Mm-hmm. How did Elfman know where to go? That's my thing. The the information about where and when that's, to show that's up very true. 
is only on the note, which is folded up, slid under the door, taken away behind a locked door. Elfman doesn't know where it is, but he shows up as a lawyer. It has, Santa has to be real. That's my point here. I think, I think you're absolutely right. That of course does raise the question is where was Santa when the years of crime that this little girl has been involved in, Santa never stepped in to maybe provide some more stable life for, for her and for her aunt. Jacob, here's one more piece of evidence here. I don't know if you remember this, but go back, watch it again. When they're talking to the head elf in the Santa's Wonderland, they're looking at the book with the naughty and the nice list. Yes. And Patsy gets to see the nice list. He spells her last name. He looks at the list. He says, oh, here you are. Yes, you should have gotten a bike. How did he know that it was a bike? And why was her name? She looks at it. She reads it. She can read. It's demonstrated in the rest of the movie that she can read. And she reads on the list that the bike is missing. That she was supposed to get a bike. Yeah, I think I think it's a that, magical list. You know, my my thought immediately coming out of the movie it was like, oh, this is it's trying to leave an open ended question. Santa could be real, Santa can't be real. Really looking at it like you're 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 talking about here, I'm I'm coming to the conclusion that yes, Santa's real. There's too. no ambiguity. He's it's he's a magical like, it's a magical just, being a existing in the world of New York City, living in Maplewood, New Jersey. So next time we go out East Coast. To visit you, I think we're going to have to drive down to New York, hit up Maplewood, leave some notes, take care of any Jesse, criminal situations that we have going on. The only thing is we are going to have to take a bus to get out there, is the only thing. <laughs> That's true. But hey, so isn't a three-hour be... bus ride worth good legal representation? <laughs> I think it is. I think this movie demonstrates that. I mean, it definitely helped them find love and career happiness, so I, I think it could work out for you and for, for everyone else who wants to go out there. All right, before we move on to our Christmas themes, just one last question. I know this has been a lot. We've covered a lot here, but I did have one more thing in my notes. And that is, we have not yet discussed the title cards for each chapter. The title cards. Something that I wish more movies movies did. did. Why don't movies do this? It's like a little treasure hunt every five to ten minutes. So what happens in this movie, they break up each of the chapters. And there are a lot. There's maybe 17 chapters. Or 18 chapters. So every 5 to 10 minutes in this movie, they throw up a painting, a still, sort of the Ken Burns effect, panning the camera over a still painting, a still frame of a painting. And then they have a title, a quote, quote from the movie that you have not seen yet, you have not heard yet. So it is a quote that is going to be said within the next 5 to 10 minutes. What was most interesting to me in in terms of art direction and the choice and these paintings that they use for the title cards is that these paintings are all scenes of Christmas opulence. That's a woman uh, and her family sitting down to enjoy a turkey roast at a giant table in the middle of this cavernous dining room. These are the types or, of paintings. The other thing you're right, the style of this, these are the types of paintings you might see in like a Christmas Carol, like a Victorian oil painting very opulent and the the scenes are from that time period like a christmas of that time period so not like a norman rockwell right very un-american i think at at the end of the day not new york Mm -hmm. certainly Mm -hmm. and and so this is contrasted with for you 
Yeah, for me, it was the fact that they would have this picture of extreme wealth and then cut to Trish and Patsy in their tiny one and a half room apartment, dingy rundown. They've got a abusive ex-boyfriend Santa out front banging on the door trying to get in. These scenes really, it really cut an interesting contrast and really got to the divide between class and wealth that is represented so cleanly at the end of the movie between Mr. Limber, the department store owner, and our protagonist. You know, this is an interesting point. I think a lot of these Christmas romance movies in general don't show people that are struggling. They're struggling Mm -hmm. emotionally. They're struggling, but not struggling financially in the way it really seems like Trish and Patsy are trying to get by doing this pickpocket thing and are sort of living hand to mouth a little bit in this walk up in New York in the late 90s. And I think there was a dinginess, a sort of grittiness to the Ontario locations that they selected that represented that and I think really gave a character arc to their Mm -hmm. growth, to interacting with Ruffalo's Mm -hmm. family who again, mm-hmm. very working class cops, but mm-hmm. in the suburbs. And there was a difference in that world and understanding that difference. And just, I think a realness and authenticity to this movie that I thought was very compelling. And, and uh, frankly, I enjoyed. So I think that contrasted with the title cards was certainly a little bit jarring. The other thing I liked about the title cards though, Jake, is this almost like a little surprise every five to ten. You're waiting for them to say it. Because the first time it happens, you don't know. You don't remember, oh, the title card said this. And then you see the second title card, and you're like, okay, that's a weird title for a chapter. It doesn't really have a Christmas theme to it. And then you hear the character say it, and then it matches for you, and you're like, oh, are these all lines from the movie? Like, they don't tell you they're lines from the movie. And then it becomes a little game. I was just sitting there waiting for them to say the line from the title card. And and it became an exciting game for me. So it really kept me interested throughout the movie. And I think my favorite one, of course, I mentioned this to you while we were watching it, was when Mark Ruffalo's character, he sort of looks around and he says, so that's what we are, huh? Some kind of on the second day of Christmas. That was my personal favorite one. I was shocked to hear that. But I thought it really fit in the... You know the part where they were trying to break into the Christmas tree lot? And he throws the tree over. And then Patsy and Trish take the tree and run. And he comes out and he's like, dude, where's my Christmas tree? That was another another great moment. Yeah, it really is that kind of diegetic saying the title, saying the title card of the movie in the movie that I... it, It was. It was like on Christmas when you open up your stocking, when you open up your presents, and there's just something you you didn't expect. There's the stuff that you were like, oh, I'm asking Santa for this, but then there's always those presents that you didn't expect, and those are oftentimes... You didn't know uh, you wanted it. I did not know I needed that in movies, in a movie, but now that I do, I want it in every movie. Exactly. And and it was an amazing thing. All right, well, I think we've talked about some of our issues with the movie. Well, not really issues, because... Frankly, I, I, again, largely liked it, but some of our confusions with it, things right. we, were, we were confused about within the movie. 
But I think now let's get to a little segment we like to call our Christmas themes or what did we learn about Christmas from this Lifetime movie? So there are a couple things that I learned about Christmas, Jesse. Yeah. The clearest and most apparent theme in this movie, one that's stated many, many, many times, is that everyone deserves a second chance. Absolutely. I mean, I think you uh, can learn that from the story of Jesus Christ. He dies, he's resurrected, he gets a second chance. Exactly, exactly. Um, and you can learn that from the story of Patsy and Trish Walker, who both are caught stealing, pickpocketing, and really earn a second chance over the course of the movie. Mark Ruffalo learns that he needs, initially he came into it, he was like, I am the thin maroon line. I am going to uphold justice. And justice in this case means you get arrested and your niece goes to, into foster care. But he learns over the course of this movie that Trish, this woman who has been a criminal for many years using a child to carry out her pickpocketing schemes, she deserves a second chance. And if she can agree to give up her life of crime, mm -hmm. he's fallen in love with her and willing to marry her. That's right. I mean, and it really only takes three days at the end. I think that's when you really get to know someone, especially when you're introduced to them as a pickpocket who's stealing in your department store. We saw in the last movie that it only takes 12 days to fall in love with a ghost. So mm -hmm. three days for a pickpocket, I feel like, is pretty reasonable. So you're thinking Ghost is four times as hard to fall in love with as a pickpocket? Yeah, you have to get over them being dead. She had to get over the fact that his wife was also a ghost and was there. There was a lot going on. I think 12 days, reasonable for that situation. Three days, more in line with what, what I What is the fastest you think someone is going to fall in love in one of these movies? Oh, I'm certain, Jesse, I'm certain of two things. Yeah. One, there's going to be a love at first sight. Okay. All right. Two... There's going to be a mysterious reconnection where they realize that they met when they were children and fell in love then, parted ways, and then came back together later in life and fell in love. Yeah, you got to go to your hometown for reasons that have to do with your job and then fall in love with someone exactly. when you go home, even though you're too big so, for that town. I'm saying zero and minus 20 Okay. in terms of the fastest times. So, Jacob, here's my Christmas theme for you. Okay. My Christmas theme for you, and I think this, again, well represented in this movie, I think the capacity to forgive, as you've pointed mm -hmm. out, very important. Mm -hmm. But what I learned from this movie is that crime isn't bad, but cops are the best. And so I think... That's right. I think this was a strong, arousing... We saw a variety of police officers exhibiting different behaviors... They were all jovial, like really Christmassy, mm -hmm. really into the Christmas season. Every time any crime was happening, they were like, uh, it's Christmas. What are you doing? Forget it's fine. About it. It's fine. Ah, they're stealing something. It's okay. Probably they just need some presents. Let's get them some, uh, some Yuletide cheer here. Can we get them some eggnog? What's going on here, right? Multiple interactions. Cops, all of Ruffalo's family. I want to point out. Yeah. I do want to point out New York City cops, of course, famed for how jovial and forgiving <laughs> they are in term when it comes to crime. Well, also just in interactions with any civilian in New York City. Just like yeah. every interaction with the cops was amazing. And people were laughing, they were having fun. This is obviously before <laughs> broken windows or any of the stop and frisk era, but 
I think this is great. This is just great interactions in the late 90s with the NYPD. And really, the other thing is, is that there were lots of crimes being committed, but only the abusive ex-boyfriend ever, anything ever happened to. Right. Right? And in fact, we find out at the end of the movie, and this is the biggest bombshell I have ever seen dropped <laughs> in any movie. All right? Biggest bombshell. I mean, there are a lot of twist this endings. shocking. There are a lot of famous twist endings, but on the second day of Christmas has skyrocketed to the top of my twist landing. This is Sixth Sense. He was dead the whole time. Yeah. Okay. There was some foreshadowing of that. Okay. You can go back and watch the movie and be like, oh, yeah, I guess he was dead the whole time. But in this movie, it turns out that a key plot point is at the end, somebody lifts, again, pickpockets, Mr. Limber during the climactic meeting where they decide not to arrest Trish and Patsy and they plant it on Mel, the abusive ex-boyfriend of Trish. And so he goes to jail partly because he stole a wallet during this meeting, right? And Mm -hmm. they leave and there's sort of the epilogue. They're there discussing after this meeting, oh, it's so great. I'm so happy. I love you. And they're like, oh, that was a really good pickpocketing of Mr. Limber to plant it on Mel. And Trish believes Mark Ruffalo has done it. Mark Ruffalo believes Mary Stuart Masterson has done it. They're saying, hey, that was a great lift. She was like, no, I thought you did it. And they're like, well, who did it? And it turns out it was Mark Ruffalo's mom who has emerged as this grandmother figure for Patsy. And it's just like Christmas sweater, homemaker, making the large family dinner, overseeing this family of cops married to a sergeant in the NYPD. And she says, it was me. I used to be a pickpocket. I never told you how I met your dad. He caught me, and that's when I fell in love with him. So the same story that happens with Mark Ruffalo and Mary Stuart Marston happened to his mom and dad, and we just didn't know. This is why family history, oral histories are so important, Jacob. I think this movie proves it. By laying the biggest bombshell I've ever seen. And it really is the second day of Christmas in that sense. This is a retelling of his parents' story and how they got together. And it really, I think, speaks to the way that we perpetuate cycles in family histories. That his parents, a cop and a criminal. Yeah. Now he, a security guard, is getting together with a criminal. It's. I'm certain that Patsy, in her future, will find... Some, maybe a Paul Blart type, maybe someone who works, uh, well, works it's have a to gate be... at a zoo. I don't know. No, it's going to be someone like a transit cop, traffic yeah. officer. I mean, you have to move into a different sector of police enforcement. But yeah, certainly Patsy's uh, predestined to fall in love on Christmas, jaywalking, and she's caught by the crossing guard yeah. and falls in love sure. with them. So... A lot of Christmas themes here, but let's move to our next segment, which for the first this time... This my favorite. This is your favorite. This is the first time we're doing it, because there really wasn't one in the first episode. We did, we couldn't award you, it, but any You might have been... It, you maybe, maybe you say the apple and the knife. Again, I'm going to go back to that a lot, I think, yeah. as we talk about this, because really that was a defining feature. Yeah. But uh, I think that we, we need to talk about who was the holiday ham. That's right. The actor... Who really got on, got their teeth into the script, into the dialogue, 
and just chewed up that scenery and hammed it up for the enjoyment of all the audience. And Jacob, you so. and I conferred. We submitted our ballots. We took the IMDb list. We had every character and cast and crew member listed there. And we ranked them. We, we had one through fifth, fifth place votes. So we have a ranked choice system. But it turns out that both you and I put all of our votes. I've tabulated the yeah. results. We've put all of our votes on Mark Ruffalo's stunt double for this movie. Because this is amazing <laughs> work he's doing. Just so great. This, this man, he had to do a lot. So I think the, the chief scene... We mentioned earlier that Mark Ruffalo at one point needs to steal a Christmas tree. This is important. At his apartment, Mark Ruffalo, as is typical of these romantic leads, is not really interested in celebrating Christmas. So he doesn't have a Christmas tree. But Patsy and Trish convince him he needs a Christmas tree if he's going to be celebrating Christmas. And so he has to break into the closed Christmas tree lot and steal one. In order to get in there, he has to climb a chain link fence, hop in the other side, and throw a Christmas tree over. Now, Mark Ruffalo, of course, even at this time, that's a man who you're not going to want to risk a sprained ankle on, all right? That's going to shut the movie down. You're going to lose weeks of production as Mark Ruffalo gets better. You need a stunt double to climb over that fence. So they found a man who was willing to turn his face away from the camera and leap horizontally at a chain link fence. So he contorts his body so he's six feet off the ground, clinging but with his toes, with his fingers to this chain link fence, as a junkyard dog protecting the Christmas tree lot is barking at him, is is growling, is reaching up and snapping at him. And this man, dedicated to the craft, is just absolutely selling it as Mark Ruffalo, scared out of his mind, trying to climb this chain link fence. I loved it. I was on the floor laughing the whole scene. Jacob, so I think that, first of all, Mark Ruffalo gets punched gets hit by a car door falls over the fence a lot of physical comedy involving mark ruffalo getting hurt in some way throughout this movie and Mm. i just want to shout out let's just let's just name these people there are two stuntmen credited in the movie david stinson and danny lima and i'll have you know i thought i recognized the work Mm-hmm. David Stinson is a stuntman in the movie La Femme Nikita, one of my favorite action films. Right. Same year. Of course. That, on that the second sense. day of Christmas. That makes sense. Also in the movie Exit Wounds, the Steven Seagal DMX action pick. So a lot of great work here in the stunt business. And I just want to give him a shout out because this was amazing work. There was a lot of acting going on. It was not just the stunt. There was a lot of emotion and comedy happening being done by the stunt double so really great stuff so holiday yeah, really, ham really appreciate goes that. out to danny lima and david stinson in this movie great work so let's talk about our new year's resolutions we've gone through the movie we've talked about our christmas themes we've gone over the holiday ham we're at the end we're stuffed we're ready what would we change in our segment new year's resolutions We talked about the chief question that was raised in this film. What's up with the title cards? Now, we don't, we're not going to change those. So the second question is... Title cards remain is, the same. Remain the same. 
keep those in. In fact, just take those same title cards, change nothing, put them in other movies. Exactly. So the question that I come to then, is magic real in this movie? Now, as much as I do love a climactic law scene where it's made clear that false imprisonment is okay, it really kind of stuck in my craw that Mr. Limber was this unsavable figure. A chief theme of this movie is the idea of forgiveness and the idea of second chances. And we never see Mr. Limber ever regret that he is going to tear apart this family unit of Trish and Patsy. He never has any kind of conscious about it. He's a Scrooge the whole time. He's a Scrooge that goes through Christmas, learns nothing, and remains a Scrooge. So my New Year's resolution, the way that I would tweak this movie to really bring out the themes, is that we had the question when the family goes to see Santa Claus. They don't get to see him. They just slip the note under the door. Is, Is Santa real? Right. My change, the way I would tweak this, is I would have the reveal at the end that there's this whole scene where Mr. Limber is arguing with the elfman lawyer slash security guard slash head elf and they're they're arguing back and forth and then they they say all right we're gonna let patsy and trish go mark ruffalo your your character go ahead and quit pursue your your music career but then after they leave elfman and limber are in the room together and elfman looks to limber and he says i think we did a good job boss and it's revealed that mr limber is santa claus and he has orchestrated this whole thing to teach both Bert and Trish the true meaning of Christmas. Get them together. Get them in a stable, loving relationship. That's the resolution that I would have to really punch up the themes of this film and really make it so that we're seeing a little magic <laughs> Jacob, in these characters. I love that ending so much. I wish that it had happened. I'm going to build on your tweak I'm going to tweak your tweak just a little bit. Everything you said happens, okay? Okay. Except that as Alfman says, I think we did a good job, boss, and looks over at Limber. Limber takes out a Santa hat, puts it on, pets his dog, looks straight (laughs) at the camera, and holds up his finger. Shh. That just just like the DVD cover. The DVD cover, that's the DVD cover. That's the final shot of the movie. Fade to black credits. Christmas now music I'm, Now I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there was a deleted scene where they had that <laughs> and it they just cut it from the movie for time constraints. That, to, that it just makes too much sense. It makes too much sense. All right. So, that's our New Year's resolution. We're moving forward. We're reshooting the ending of that movie and I think it ties everything together. But let's do our white elephant exchange. As you know, one of the reasons we love these Lifetime Christmas movies is how well the title fits in with the premise, really sells the premise to you. And I think a lot of other movie genres don't do that as well. Movie titles don't really tell you what's going to happen in the movie. But... I love the puns. I love the emotions carried in the titles. So for our White Elephant Exchange, what is your lifetime Christmas movie plot that you would have with the title 
on the second day of Christmas if you got to reboot this entire franchise? All right, Jesse, hear me out. Now, I know you love period piece romances. I do. All right. I do You're love period fan. piece romances. That's absolutely you, you true. You were waxing poetic to me about Bridgerton recently. Bridgerton's and, amazing. Uh, oh, it's so good. Okay. We can't get into that here, but I, All right. I, I will. I have. That's I have our other podcast. Our other podcast, Regency Era Today. So my On the Second Day of Christmas is about uh, a young man who, living in 1700s America, is going about his life. He's a bit of a curmudgeon. He's young, but unmarried, really devoted to his to his work. Perhaps he's a lawyer. Perhaps he's a real estate agent. Perhaps he's a security department, a security cover department store. Who knows? But he's going about his day, and he, through no fault of his own, has some interaction with another with another man, a negative interaction. And the man challenges him to a duel. Now, being too stubborn and too prideful, he agrees to the duel. But of course, what do you what does every person need when they're going to a duel, Jesse? They need a second. And who does he have there but a young woman? who is there to teach him the true meaning of forgiveness, the true meaning of second chances, that he's agreed to the stool, but he needs to be the bigger man and forgive the injustice against him and move forward. And that would be his second, that would be my film on the second day of Christmas, set in 1790s America, all about the fateful duel that brought this man and his second together. And of course, it would be set on the second day of Christmas. Wow. That is a movie that I want to see. I mean, I think you could get in some historical fiction, get into it, maybe have some famous characters. You get an Aaron Burr in there. All right. Um, well, yeah. I mean, if we're doing this, we're certainly capitalizing on the success of Hamilton, Jesse. Yeah. I'm not above uh, blatant, yeah. blatant fan service. Yeah. No, you would have to do that. But that, I think we're going to write these all up and send them over to Lifetime, and I'm sure that yeah. they'll read our letters. So... Uh, let's what, pen that one in. While we're waiting for the response on mine, Jesse, yeah. did you have? Did you have I a, did. a script for I the second? I did day of have a plot, Jacob, and here is what: if I had a movie, if I was rebooting on the second day of Christmas, my movie would involve the star-crossed lovers, people who need to fall in love. My movie would star two characters who have the same last name. Okay. And their last name okay. would be Day. Of course. Okay. Of course. And both of them would be Day, <laughs> and there would be a mix-up in the delivery of Christmas cards mm-hmm. to the wrong person because they have the same last name and they live in the same building, but they have never met. Okay. And in fact, they know the other person as an annoying neighbor. So they're leaving each other notes... That your dog was barking too loud, you're walking around too much, you're playing your music too loud, and the man is writing back, hey, you're too curmudgeonly, you're too strict, like, I should be able to have a dog, and why can't you relax? And we have that, and then they get the Christmas cards that were addressed to somebody else, and that mix-up leads them to fall in love. So they actually meet each other. And even though they hate each other at first, they learn to love each other through trying to get those Christmas cards back. 
and that would be the two days of Christmas. And it wouldn't be on the second day of Christmas. It would be the two days of Christmas, I think. I would have to change the title. Yeah. But it would be close enough in, in, in my book. I Jesse, I, I think we write this up. We send them off. They made 30 original movies last year. They have to be on the lookout for scripts to expand their library for next year. I think we get this in pre-production. Yeah. I think we get we get shooting in maybe in June, head up to Ontario and start shooting. Mm-hmm. That's That's, I think, my plan moving forward. So that was our White Elephant Exchange. So we've now given people a random movie with the same title that they never wanted, which is what happens in every White Elephant Exchange that I've ever been a part of. All right, so what was your final take on this movie? Do you think that people should watch this movie? Uh, Yeah, I actually really enjoyed this movie. And I I think that's going to be a surprise to some people who know me and who might think of me as maybe a little bit cynical a little bit ironic but i genuinely had a good time watching this seeing mark ruffalo pretend to play the piano seeing mark ruffalo pretend to throw himself up against a chain link fence seeing mark ruffalo i actually fall in love i i love the child acting in this movie i love the regular acting in this movie i love the stunts in this movie there was a lot that happened we couldn't recover it all in the five hours that we've been talking and I'm surprised they fit it in the 98 minutes running time. It's true. It's true that at the 30 minute mark, I looked at my watch and then I said to you, I thought we were an hour and a half in already. Yeah. Like there's the full so much story happened. A full the- story arc happens in the first each third of the movie. It's quite amazing. But what I do want to get to now, which we could not mm-hmm. do in our first episode because we had only watched one. Where does this fit in our Christmas rankings? Jesse, I don't think you even have to ask me. I think that I've made my thoughts clear. Number one, with the bullet, the spirit of Christmas. I just love him eating the apple with the knife. Again, I'm going to... Yeah, you love that part. (laughs) I do love that. But no, in, in all seriousness, this movie head and shoulders above the spirit of Christmas. It really actually makes me question the validity of the L ranking system that this was not number one. Because this movie, to me, represented what I want out of a Lifetime original Christmas movie. It Absolutely. brought fun. It brought the comedy. It, but it was most a laugh out loud it, moments throughout. Most importantly, it brought the spirit of Christmas. And I use that purposefully. It brought the spirit of Christmas into this film, yeah. Jesse. I felt like this movie could take place at no other time of year. Yeah, That was how integral the theme and the uh, meaning of Christmas was to this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's that time again. I hear the chains rattling. So this must be the ghost of Christmas future. Next episode, we will be watching Radio Christmas, number three on the L.com ranking of 88 Lifetime movies made before 2019. And in this one, it is a Lifetime Christmas movie regular, Keisha Knight Pulliam from The Cosby Show. Yeah, we're going to be looking forward to seeing her as she plays radio DJ. KKP is in effect... She is in this movie. I am so excited about it. 
I love the the Cosby show, obviously a bit problematic now, but the sitcom is gold. And I think KKP, one of the bright spots of that, and certainly to be a bright spot of many of our Lifetime Christmas original movies coming forward, and Radio Christmas, I'm sure, is not going to disappoint. That said, what is this movie about? Who listens to the radio anymore? (laughs) What is this movie about? Well, certainly it's all about podcasts nowadays, Jesse. (laughs) the medium of the future and, but we'll we'll talk more about that next time on the lifetime of christmas jesse thank you so much for sharing this movie with me and sharing this yeah experience. this experience it was great i'm almost done with my cocoa i couldn't even drink it all because this movie was so exciting but i will see you next time and until then merry christmas to you jacob have a festive season merry christmas to all and to all a good night that's our sign off. I'm doing a thing now. That's what we're going to sign off with. <laughs> oh, that's so and then good. The music comes in and it's swell. Yeah, it's going to be a whole thing. We're keeping all of this. We're cutting none of this. I'm editing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I love you, Jake. We'll see you later. Have a good night.